0: Christmas light display outside, and every Christmas light inside is a reminder of the great light of God that's dawning upon us, increasing our joy. Into the darkness of this world comes the light of the world, Jesus. It's my heart that we learn to worship the Lord with gladness. It's possible to come to a worship service like this one and really not be a worshiper. It's possible to preach sermons and not be a worshiper, because worship has to do with the heart. Worship begins and ends with the heart, the heart that is open toward God. Worship is our response to God's revelation of himself. That's why we're pursuing worship here and pursuing a worship pastor. That's how important we believe worship is. So I want to take you now to a chart. We've shown you before, but I want to just reemphasize to you the theoretical basis behind worship. On the chart, you see that there's some attitudes we bring into the worship experience of love, fear, and honor. Knowing the uh, deep, deep love of God, it inclines our hearts to love Him. That once you know God and His incredible love for you, it's easy to love Him because God's love is perfect. God loves you without conditions. God loves you without measure. But the hard part is loving somebody else, and even loving ourselves, because we are so imperfect and other people are so imperfect. But when the love of God is really in our hearts, we've worshipped him, and we know how much he loves us, and we know that we are his beloved, the love of God can flow from our hearts to others. The second of the attitudes in Revolve with Worship, we talked about the fear of God. This is not a cringing fear of God, as if God will judge us. We fear God because God is holy. As the songwriter said, It was grace that taught my heart to fear, and it was grace my fears relieved. It's the perfect love of God, then, that casts out these fears of him. We can come boldly into his presence and have an intimate relationship with him. The third of the attitudes is that of honor, which we're going to talk about this morning giving God the honor that is due him. We we bestow honor upon the Lord because he is worthy to be worshipped. This morning we begin our third sermon in the series on worship. And the question I want to consider this morning is, why is he, God, worthy of being worshipped? And then the question becomes, what will be our deliberate act of worship this day, this week, as we prepare our hearts for Christmas? As we begin, I want to ask a question. I think you know this question. Before we do anything, we ask the question, is it worth it? Let's suppose you're standing over a table of freshly baked Christmas cookies. They've been made with love. Before you is uh, oatmeal raisin, my favorite, and chocolate chip, my second favorite, and snickerdoodle, name of my dog, but also my third favorite. And you see somebody you know, and they're partaking of these cookies, right? And you know there's calories involved with this decision. So you ask the question, is it worth it? (laughs) And they say, oh, yes, it is definitely worth it. Or let's imagine you're a college student. Welcome back, college students. We're glad to have you home. You're considering taking a class outside of your major. You only have a few discretionary classes. And you've heard about a professor in a class and you're interested in taking the class, right? But you know you'll have a few little options like this. So you ask the student who's taken the class, is it worth it? And the student who's taken that class says, oh yeah, you won't regret taking that class. Well, let's imagine you're in your 20s. And uh, you just met somebody, and they don't live in your city, right? You're pursuing a relationship with somebody who's from another town. You know this is going to involve Skyping and texting and calling and... Writing and traveling, you know it's not gonna be easy. This may be a complicated relationship. It's gonna require some effort. So the question you ask yourself is, is it worth it? Before you begin that relationship to go all you know, all in, you want to ask, is it worth it? Now if you pursued someone like that, why don't you just turn to them and say, You were worth it? <laughs> Our tendency before we eat the cookie or take the class or pursue that relationship is to ask the question, is it worth it? But let me bump up the question a little bit to you now. (laughs) Why is God worthy of our worship? Well, the most beautiful picture we have of worship, I believe in the whole Bible, is that of the angelic celestial beings before the throne of God day and night saying, holy, holy, holy. Is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was, and who is, and who is to come. They never tire of saying, and God never gets tired of hearing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was, and who is, and who is to come. Mary was told, The Most High will overshadow you, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the Holy One to be born to you will be called the Son of God. And holy is his name. Holiness, more than any other attribute, describes God's character, his essence. That's why Isaiah, when he saw the vision of God in the throne room, seraphim were flying with two wings, covering their faces with two wings, covering their feet with two, things, two wings, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. To learn this language of worship. I was talking to a man this week about his work, and he leaves the house at about five o'clock, gets up about five, leaves the house about five thirty. And he really wants to learn to take his first breath and to praise the Lord. So he left the house about five thirty, thanking God for his work, blessing the Lord for another day, praying over his his commute, praying over his family. But it was raining like cats and dogs. The farther he drove into Virginia, the rain began to let up. He was praising God for the break in the skies, the sun coming up. And very near his office in Virginia, he was struck by another vehicle. But he said, I was in this spirit of worship. I was praising the Lord. I was thanking God that he protected me. I was thanking God I was able to drive away from this accident. Our God is worthy of worship. Isaiah 57:15 says, For this is what the high and lofty one says, he who lives forever, whose name is holy. I live in a high and holy place, but also with him who is contrite and lowly in spirit. Why is God so worthy of our worship? Because God is holy and God is almighty. God left his throne room in heaven and took off his royal robes left that high position coming down to earth, sort of like down the spiral staircase. God knew that we were lost. We could never find our way home. God knew that we were blind, that we could never recover our own sight. God knew we had a huge debt that we never could repay. God knew <laughs> our condition, and he had mercy upon us. God, being holy, knew we had broken every rule in the book, God being righteous knew that we did not keep up his standards. God being merciful chose to not give us what we deserve. God being gracious gave us what we did not deserve. And God being loving took our place on a cross. Because God is holy and righteous and compassionate and merciful and gracious and loving, because God is our creator and our sustainer, he is our deliverer and our savior, because God is worth. worth Worthy, we worship Him. We give Him glory and honor and blessing. I was told a story this week of a a Romanian woman, and this is about Operation Christmas Child. I know many of you have been part of this, making Christmas presents for children all around the world. Well, she lived in Romania, and she was only six years old, and she was born into poverty. She only expected for Christmas maybe an apple an orange. And she had a pair of shoes, and her shoes were well worn, and they didn't fit any longer. So she prayed to God that he would send to her a pair of shoes. She knew that Operation Christmas Child was coming to her village, and she prayed that her present may be a pair of shoes. Now, I suppose that most of the boxes get packed with shampoo and soap and toothpaste and toothbrushes and balls and crayons and paper. But there was a woman in America... decided to go to the store and buy shoes for a six-year-old girl. And that's what she put inside her box. And the box was collected and taken over to Romania, and there's this big stack of presents for the children in the village. And when she opened up her box, inside the box was a pair of shoes, that which she was hoping to get for Christmas. And when I heard the story, I just worshiped God. I said, "God, you are holy, and God you are sovereign, and God you are faithful, and God you are good, you are really good." I mean, to pull that one off, I'll deliver a pair of shoes to a little Romanian girl who was crying out to him for a pair of shoes. I want to consider this morning the question: Why is God worthy of our worship? If you have a Bible, you can open up to Daniel chapter 3, where our first story begins. Our first story begins about 500 years before the birth of Christ. The story is about a king who was filled with pride and arrogance. His name was Nebuchadnezzar, or as Tales says, King Nebi. And he had conquered the world. King Nebi made a statue of himself made of pure gold. And he summoned all of his military commanders, his civil administrators, his treasurers, his magistrates, to a place, and all the nations he had conquered, and the sound of the musical instruments, they were commanded to bow their knee and worship the image of King Nebi. King Nebi wasn't honoring one of the gods of Babylon. He was demanding the people worship him. King Nebi was trying to unify Babylon by asserting himself as head of state and head of religion. So here was the deal. If people bowed to the sound of the instruments, They would live. But if they did not bow, they would die. They'd be thrown into a blazing furnace. At the sound of the instruments, all of the people bowed except three. Three did not bow the knee. Certain astrologers, and hold on to that, astrologers, them that study the stars and try to discern the future from the stars, certain astrologers observed that three men did not bow the knee. They did not worship the idol. So the astrologers went to the king. They said, certain Jews who have responsibility over the affairs of Babylon, certain Jews whose names are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these people pay no attention to you, O king. They do not serve your gods. They do not worship the image you have set up. And the king was furious with rage. So the king said to them, just in case you didn't get the memo, just in case you haven't been looking at your email, just in case you haven't been looking at the news recently, just in case you didn't get the text message, I am the king, and I have authority over you. And I'm not asking you, I'm telling you. You, <laughs> you do not serve my gods. You did not worship when you were supposed to bow, but I'm going to give you a second chance, and your second chance will be your last chance. Bow to the image, and you will live. Don't bow to the image and you will die. Now, on the screen, Daniel chapter 3 and verse 17. Here was the reply of these young men to the king. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace. Now, I'm not talking about a furnace like heats your home or an oven that bakes your bread. We're talking about a huge furnace into which you would put bricks to be breaked bricks to be baked. This was a blazing furnace. If we are thrown, they said, into this blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us, and he will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. Nebuchadnezzar, you have power, but our God has greater power. You have authority, but our God has greater authority. And we're never going to bow down to this image or this statue. You see, they knew the laws of God, and God said, You shall not make for yourself an idol. You shall not bow down to it and worship it. And here they were in this foreign land, this Babylon. And they said to themselves that God has been good to us. God has strengthened us when we were weak. And God has provided for us when we needed his provisions. And God has comforted us when we were sad. And God has guided us when we were lost. And God has counseled us when we did not know what to do. We are going to worship the Lord and none other. They made a resolution in their hearts to be worshipers. You see, the question with God and idols is this. To whom will you give your highest love? To whom will you give your highest loyalty? To whom will you give your deepest affection? The worship of God is our highest calling. Worship is that which we were made for. But we often lose sight of God, and we turn away from worshiping Him and obeying Him to worshiping something that's lesser. Like the songwriter said, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. When we worship, we worship God in his rightful place, the highest place. And our enemy is working against us. The one thing he fears is that is God's people will truly worship him. So he does his best to pull us away. He tries to get us to worship other gods. Idolatry is the greatest enemy of worship because we focus upon the idol rather than focus upon the true and living God. These idols are not only like statues made of stone and wood. You see, it's good to desire to be educated, but it's bad when your education has become your idol. It's good to desire to work and provide for your family, but it's bad when your career has become idol. In America, we have all kinds of idols. We have idols in the music industry, idols in the film industry, idols in the sports industry. We have idols all around us that we bow down unto. And God desires the highest place. These men were servants in Babylon, but they were servants of the Most High God. And when the question was put before them, Will you bow down to me? They said, Absolutely not. We believe our God is able to save us. Now many of you look upon salvation to be a past tense thing. We have been saved. But salvation can also be a present tense thing, of God is saving me, or God is rescuing me. And these men believe that God could save them. If you forget the word omnipotence, meaning God is almighty, just remember God is able. God is able to save to the uttermost those who turn to him. I like to say God can save from the guttermost to the uttermost. And God is able to save us. God is able to keep us. And God is able to do exceedingly abundantly on all we ask or think according to that power that works within us. So what happened? Well, the king did throw them into this fire. But there was a promise in Isaiah that says, When you walk into the fire, you will not be burned. The, blaze will, the fire will not set you ablaze. And God came to be with them. Nebuchadnezzar looked inside. It was not three men. It was four. God was with them in that blazing furnace. And when they came out, they were unfettered. They were not singed. They didn't even smell smoke. And listen to this declaration the king made. Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel to rescue them. They trusted in him. They defied the king's command and were willing to die rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. And those who honor him, the Lord will honor. And he made this proclamation that those who dishonor this god will be dishonored. Why do we worship him? Because he is above all gods. He's above all idols. Why is the Lord worthy of being worshipped? He is the most high God and he deserves the highest place in our hearts. Secondly, why is the Lord to be (laughs) worshipped? Because he's the only person worth worshipping. Luke chapter 10 verse 38. As Jesus and his disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into their home. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he taught. This is the town of Bethany, the home of Martha. When Jesus and his disciples came to Martha's house, Martha welcomed Jesus and his disciples, and whoever else was along, maybe... A healed blind man, or a tax collector, or a prostitute. Jesus loved Martha and Mary, and Mary and Martha loved Jesus. But Mary and Martha were very different. Mary sat at the Lord's feet, worshiping, listening to what he had to say. You see, Mary was a worshiper. She believed that Jesus was worthy to be worshiped. Now, I should note parenthetically that it was not customary for a woman to be in the presence of a great teacher, a rabbi. The rabbis excluded women from their presence. But it was Jesus who invited the women to come near to him. And it was Mary who was sitting at his feet, just worshiping. The posture of her heart was open and receptive. She loved to be in his presence. She loved to listen to his voice. She responded to his invitation to come near. Now her sister Martha also loved Jesus, but... Martha was a doer. She saw these 12 men come into her house, and she figured they were hungry. She knew that beds don't make themselves, and tables don't set themselves, and glasses don't pour themselves, and meals don't make themselves. So Martha got busy. But the one question she did not ask in all of her busyness was, Jesus, what do you want? She presumed to know what Jesus would want. So she went to the well to draw some water. She went to the market to get some fruits and vegetables. She pulled out her flour. She began to knead some dough. She was preparing them dinner. She was making them a great meal. Now, how many of you women believe that the weight of people's expectations at Christmas falls on your shoulders? Just give me an amen if you believe that. Though the weight of people's expectations falls on your shoulders at Christmas time. Martha was simply trying to make everybody happy. She was trying to make this awesome feast a meal that everybody would remember. Martha had set a personal standard for herself. I don't think Martha had seen Martha Stewart, but she might have. People coming to my house should have a feast. She had a reputation for being a great hostess. There's only one problem. Martha was stressing herself out. Her service was not flowing out of her worship. You see, worship replenishes the inner person. Martha hadn't worshipped. Martha went to work in the kitchen, and before long there were no inner reserves for her to draw upon. Martha was distracted by this big dinner she was preparing. You see, it's so easy to get distracted. So I asked you this morning, what are you distracted by? And what are you distracted from? You see, Martha was distracted from the presence of God. Here was God present in her house, but she was ignoring the very presence of God in her work. Therefore, she was being reduced to fumes, if you will, not being replenished. Have you ever been distracted by feeling you have so much to do in so little time? Feeling you need to get somebody a gift? Wondering who's coming over to the house? Receiving a card or a note from somebody, realizing you haven't sent them a card or a note? What do you do then? Do you deal with any distractions? People come to this place feeling all kinds of distractions. Distracted by the cares of this world. Distracted by their hurries and their worries and their flurries. Distracted by their problems at home, their family problems. Dad said he is coming. If dad is coming, mom says she isn't coming. If mom isn't coming, it isn't worth having. We're distracted by our car problems. We're distracted by our health problems. We're distracted by our computer problems. You ever been on your computer and you're just trying to get some work done and like something goes wrong with the computer or these pop-ups keep popping up or these screens you can't pull back up and now you've lost something on the computer, you've lost time? I know of a man who took his kids out to dinner. They were having this awesome appetizer together. They were enjoying each other, you know, playing with each other, laughing with each other. So the dad said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to Instagram my friends, tell them what a great time we're having. His only problem was on his iPhone, he couldn't pull up the app of Instagram. And he sat there for about 10, 15 minutes trying to pull it up and couldn't pull it up. And the kids said, hey, dad, like we're having fun, right? The dad was so distracted with his iPhone and with his apps, he'd forgotten the purpose he was having dinner. What are your distractions? What is causing you stress? Martha was so stressed out. She went to Jesus and she said this. Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits there and worships when I've got all this work to do? She tries to tell Jesus what to do. (laughs) Because she hasn't worshiped, She hasn't been in his presence. She is stressed out. She's complaining about her sister. She's believing life is unfair. She's telling Jesus what to do. (laughs) And I love how Jesus handles the situation. Jesus says, Martha, Martha. Or he might say to you, K, K. Or Debbie, Debbie. Or Betsy, Betsy. Cindy, Cindy, you are worried about so many things. You're upset about all these details. You're focused on the temporal things that can be taken away from you. But the thing that really matters isn't dinner or your preparations for dinners. The thing that really matters is me. There's only one thing to really be concerned about. Why is he to be worshiped? because he's the only person worth worshiping. Mary discovered that day what really does matter. You know what the Bible says? Don't be anxious, really, about anything. But in everything, with your prayers and supplications, with thanksgiving, make your requests be known unto God. And the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Cast all your cares upon him. Because why? He cares for you. There is another option than being stressed out this Christmas. <laughs> to become a worshiper. To really worship him in spirit, the level of the heart, and with the truth that our God is in control. Listen to me. When you are worried, you are trying to be in control. And the antidote for worry is to surrender your control to God's control who's over the situation and over your life. You're stressed out about a family problem. You're stressed out about a car problem. You're stressed out about a financial problem. But God is over all those problems. God is bigger than those problems. God will help you through those problems. God will strengthen you. You just need to turn to him. Why is God worthy to be worshiped? Now, remember earlier we talked about those astrologers, right? Those ones who uh, brought the accusation against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Those astrologers saw the faith of those three young men. They saw the faith of a man named Daniel. These three young men defied the king's decree. They believed that God could save them, and he did. They believed that God could deliver them, and he did. They believed that God had more power and authority, and he did. So the king made a proclamation to honor the Lord their God. Daniel wrote in Daniel chapter 9, from the time of the decree to rebuild, restore Jerusalem till the time the Messiah comes will be a period of 69 weeks. That is 483 Hebrew years. And these astrologers, I believe, had passed down their faith from generation to generation believing Daniel's prophecy such that when you see in Matthew chapter 2 some men coming from the east, these men were astrologers, students of the night sky. They had heard the prophecy, they had counted down the days, and now they had come to worship God, Matthew 2. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod, About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem, asking, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east, and we have come to worship him. They asked a very profound question. Where is the newborn king of the Jews? They made an observation. We have seen his star in the east, and they declared their intent that we have come to worship him. They were declaring that Jesus Christ was worthy of their worship. And for them, it would not be an easy journey. Moors and mountains, fields and fountains following yonder star. That songwriter must have been from the south following the yonder star. Why is he worthy to be worshipped? Verse 10. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. You see, God had given them general revelation concerning Bethlehem being the place of his birth. But now God gave them specific revelation concerning the star, and the very star was over top of this house. And they entered the house, and they saw the child with his mother Mary. And what did they do when they came into the house? They bowed down, and they worshipped him. They honored the Lord in his very presence. He was just the baby king but they worshipped him. And they opened their treasures, their treasure chests, and gave him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. You see, gold was a gift to a king, and frankincense, their gift to a priest, and myrrh was a gift to a, a man. They worshipped him with their treasures because they believed that Jesus Christ was the greatest of all treasures. Yesterday, I was in a home. It's a single mom. She had many kids. Her um, the father of these children was incarcerated. She didn't really know what would happen for Christmas. She was really worried, sick about it. Her house, if I can describe it to you, was just barren. There was an artificial tree, there was a couch without cushions on it, and there was a vacuum cleaner. Not much at all. And I sat down with these kids and I explained to them about Christmas. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, that he was the king. The people traveled from far distances to see him, and when they saw the king, they bowed down and worshiped, and they gave gifts. And I said, these gifts that we give to you are gifts that come from God. God has given to us much, and we give you this to remind you that the king has come. His name is Jesus Christ, and he is to be worshipped. We sang some simple carols with one another. And to me, it was just beautiful to see their hearts overflowing with joy, knowing that they were not forgotten, that they were not forsaken, that God was showing his love to them. Why is God to be worshipped? Because he is our greatest treasure. There was a man. He was digging in a field, and he uncovered a treasure. And the treasure perhaps buried there by a previous king or by armies, something very precious inside this chest. And the man, when he discovered the treasure, he went away and he sold everything he had, his house, his possessions, everything, so he could buy that field and take possession of that treasure. That treasure is Jesus Christ himself. And when you really find him, you'll give everything else away to follow him Jesus Christ is to be worshipped because he is our greatest treasure the little baby would become a king and on top of his head they put a crown and over top of him on the cross they said Jesus king of the Jews you see we worship him by remembering him before he went to that cross he said this is my body which is broken for you do this in remembrance of me For whenever you eat this bread, you remember the sacrifice that I made for you. Then he described a cup, and the cup would be that of God's wrath that he would take upon himself. And he said this cup symbolizes the blood of Christ, the blood that is poured out for you for the remission of your sins. Do this also in remembrance of me. For whenever you drink of this cup and eat of this bread, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. In a moment, we're going to partake together of the bread and cup. We're going to have stations all around this room. And you don't need to be, a, belie- need to be a, a member here to partake, just a believer. You believe that Jesus took your place upon a cross. And you believe that he is the king. And we're going to worship him. And it just could be this Christmas season, you have some things that are just stressing you out. This is an opportunity for you just to lay them down here at the cross or come and kneel just where you are, just be able to surrender these things to God who is in full control. Pray with me, would you please? Our Father in heaven, we thank you for Christmas. And we thank you for sending your son. We thank you for this enormous gift you've given to us. And the sacrifice is borne by your son upon a cross. That he is the king and he has delivered us from our sins continues to deliver us and to save us. But this Christmas season, Lord, there may be stresses and burdens and worries. They're just weighing us down. God, here in your throne room, help us to relinquish and to surrender and to bow and to yield and to worship you. God, we want to give you the worship you deserve. We believe you are worthy to be worshipped because you are above everything else. You're the only person worthy of being worshipped. And God, you are our greatest treasure. Meet with us, Lord, we pray, as we experience communion with you and with one another, Lord. May this be a very beautiful, intimate time of fellowship. We pray in Jesus' name.